buddies, fellow Franco fans, fans of the mighty Uncle Jess, fans of the beautiful and talented Lena Romay, as I am a fan of both and of many more. Many more, is that like Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse? No, it's somebody different. Dudley Moore, Minnie. Anyway, this is uh, film 67 and uh, episode 67. Shining Sex. I uh, know it's not a uh, film by Stanley Kubrick. That's The Shining. This is Shining Sex. What's better than The Shining? Well, sex, silly. So let's do The Shining Sex. Uh, so yeah, Shining Sex, film number 67, which is so awesome at this point in his career, 1975, to have like 67 films under your trusty belt. Uh, I'll give you all the information on this uh, crate film. Uh, oh yeah, once again, uh, I forgot to introduce myself. Although by now you should know who this is. Uh, this is Jason Rudy from Desperate Visions Productions, Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group. Uh, right now editing um, Lady Hyde and editing Emmanuel in Sin City, and also working on a few other little side projects that uh, I'm always doing to keep the wheels busy. Um, Kind of going through some job situations right now. Had a job, decided to quit it because uh, it wasn't what I wanted. So uh, anyway, give me some more time, a little more spark to do uh, these podcasts and get back into life. What's important? So and that's what I'm doing. Giving back to you. So all right, here we go. Uh, film sixty-seven, Shining Sex, is the export title. Uh, country of origin for this is France and Belgium, uh, nineteen seventy-five. On this one. Uh, let's see, original theatrical title in countries of origin, Shining Sex in France, and in Belgian Dutch, it was The Girl with the Shining Sex. Hit Mrs. Met de Glacendi Sex. Alternative titles, um, Shining Sex, La Fille et Sex Brilliant. France retitling, Shining Sex, The Girl with the Shining Sex. And uh, Italian theatrical uh, translates to Erotic Pleasures of a Fine Lady. Uh, Pissieri Eratici de una Signora Bene. All right. Uh, Shining Sex French video cover. Le Fille Sex Brillante. French press book pre release title. Uh, shooting title on this is just Alpha, which is a great science fiction uh, title that lends itself to the story. Uh, Le Sex Brillante. Belgian alternative theatrical title. And then we have, um, oh yeah, anyway, too, I'm going to give a quick plug to this. Got all this information for this film and many more, many more once again. Uh, I think that's the title of this episode. Uh, from the book Flowers of Perversion, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco. And this, being a film made in 75, this is volume two, which covers uh, like the 74, 1975 and onward period. Starts with, uh, I think it was Julieta. Starts with and then onward to the end. All right, so Shining Sex. Uh, production company on this is uh, Eurocene during this period, out of Paris once again. Uh, and Brooks Inter Films of Brussels. Uh, distribution companies, uh, Eurocene on this from Paris and Deco Films out of Belgium. Timeline shooting-wise on this. Um, okay, so the last film we did was Midnight Party. And that shot during uh, April, May of 75. 
This uh, shooting was April of 75. So, yeah, he kind of shot Midnight Party on the tail end of this. But this was the principal project. This was uh, April 1975 shooting. I uh, played Rome uh, July 12th of 1976, about a year and a few months later. Uh, then played Turin August 21st, 1976. And followed by Florence November 25th, 1976. Uh, French visa issued uh, December 16th of 76 and played French provinces June 1st of 1977, followed by Paris, finally June 8th of 1977. So a nice little run there for uh, about a year. So theatrical running times, France, the soft version, 69 minutes. Uh, the Periscope listing is 90 minutes, and then somewhere between 80 to 90 minutes. The France quoted on the artwork, but should be about 90 minutes. Uh, the version that I have uh, that I'm getting ready to watch here for the first time is the um, Severn Films Blu-ray, and this on the box says 106 minutes. So we'll see uh, which is the longer version, actually, 106. Okay, that's the Spanish TV version, so... Let's see. So here it says video and DVD running times converted. French was 84 minutes, 58 seconds. Japanese toy video release, uh, 109 minutes and 9 seconds, which is longer than this version. And the Spanish TV version is 105, so I think it kind of mixes a few of those two. Okay, director on this. This is once again that Franco has the multiple credits. So director, of course, is Jess Franco, but here he's billed as Dan L. Simon, S-I-M-O-N. Writers, uh, Pierre-Claude Garnier, and then uh, Franco under an alias as A.L. Marou, M-A-R-I-A-U-X. Uh, and then we have producer, Marius Lesseur. Uh, director of photography, Gerard Bessand, actually just Franco, so it's another one. Uh, camera operators, just Franco under his real name, and Ramon Ardid, those two always worked together around this period quite a bit during camera operations uh music daniel j white great awesome composer good good period for him too around this time uh published by carol continuity nicole gutiard as nadine Focart, assistant director pierre castesson in this case probably gerard cassel second assistant director madeline quiquandon uh, editor, Josine Bellier, actually Jess Franco. So yeah, he's uh, his credits here are Dan L. Simon, um, A.L. Marou, uh, Gerard Bessand, and um, Josine Bellier. So yeah, he has four different ones. Great. All right, cast in this. Uh, Lena Romay plays Cynthia, stripper. Evelyn Scott plays Evelyn Dare as Alpha. Uh, Ramon Ardis plays Andros, Alpha's slave. Jess Franco plays uh, doctor, doctor or Professor Seward, a psychiatrist. Seward, once again, the last name he uses for many films, taken from horror films, of course. Uh, Monica Swim plays Madame Picame, or Pican, a mystic. Olivier Mathot plays Elmos Kalman, a biologist and researcher of the paranormal. Uncredited, uh, Gerald Cassell plays Boris, Seward's manservant, Nicole Gutierrez, woman who passes messages to Cynthia, and Madeline Quiquandon plays a woman wearing turtleneck sweater in audience. 
Uh, okay, note. Uh, Pierre Tellou and Yul Sanders are credited but do not appear. Uh, Dan Simon was a pseudonym also used by Daniel Lesseur for directing the short film Caroline Mannequin New, 1971, and for production duties on Franco's big budget Eurocene Productions of the late 80s. All right, I'll skip the synopsis for the review portion, and I'll go on and read um, uh, Stephen Thrower's production notes and review. All right, production notes. Uh, Though made simultaneously with Midnight Party, Shining Sex could not be more different in style, and one could only imagine how puzzling the experience of shooting these two films must have been for the actors who featured in both. As Alan Petit recalled, Yul Sanders confesses his total confusion. He did not understand the film and had, over the past few days, enacted twice in two very different ways the death of his character. Fascinating as the story is, considering the story is coming from an unpeachable source, it's worth noting that Yule Sanders, real name Claude Basson, does not appear in Shining Sex. So either Franco dropped the footage from the final cut, or else he scrolled it away for an unknown project that never saw the light of day. Alternatively, perhaps Boisson realized what Franco was up to and complained to Eurocene. It's striking that both he and Pierre Tellou, frequent Eurocene actors, are credited on screen for Shining Sex, but neither of them appear. Maybe they insisted quite reasonably that their scenes should not be used if they were not being paid for a second film. So, if Midnight Party and Shining Sex were being made at the same time, which was the official film and which was the clandestine one. I asked Monica Swim, one of these small handfuls of people who knew what Franco was up to at the time. She says the secret film was Shining Sex. Interesting. Cool. I thought it was the other way around. All right. Uh, review. The mesmerizing journey into sexual alienation should be considered one of Jess Franco's most radical and personal works. Originally announced to the press as Alpha, after its otherworldly villainous, it's a weird narcotic classic, sharing a few plot ideas with the diabolical Dr. Z and Le Cachemire's Naissance Le Mite, but striking out on its own with some extraordinary moods and sensations. Produced very rapidly, it's an inspired improvisation rather than a structured narrative dependent on spontaneous camera work and strong performances. Franco is flying free here, indulging his predilection or predilection for the avant-garde. As Franco's friend and collaborator, collaborator Alan Petit explained to film historian Francesco Cesari, on Midnight Party and Shining Sex, Jess was some kind of Mr. Tambourine Man. He was the one and only cinematographer. He chose the lighting. Everything was under his control. From time to time, uh, when Jess was playing a part, Ramon Ardid, Lena Romay's husband at the time, was the cinematographer. He was also the one who put the lighting in place, put the negatives and film the camera. I would say Jess took between 10 to 15 days to complete both Midnight Party and Shining Sex. Shining Sex is essentially a more carnal version of Franco's 1965 horror film, The Diabolical Dr. Z, in which a malevolent female uses mind control to force a pretty young nightclub performer to commit murders. The difference this time is the traditional horror imagery has been swept aside, leaving a series of slow, narcotically extended trance sequences, mainly erotic in nature, ranging from the faintly ominous to the alarmingly dysfunctional. 
Often wordless, bordering on abstract, minimal to the extreme, Shining Six is hallucinatory in a very different way to Franco's more celebrated work, casting aside the optical tricks of Venus and Furs and the sin-referential conceits of succubus and sailing into a mysterious realm between genres, a liminal space bordered by horror, sci-fi, psychedelic, psychedelia, and pornography, yet beyond the scope of each. Although Alpha is a being from another dimension, there is no attempt, except for Evelyn Scott's glacial performance, to style her as an alien. No bad ears or white contact lens, and no alien technology at her disposal. All that is strange and off-kilter comes from the acting, and the way Franco dwells upon each scene, riffing on the weirdness he's creating, drawing it out like a jazz soloist floating away into musical madness. There is no superficial distractions, and the story plays out mostly in plain, functional hotel rooms. The only visual extravagances are Lisa Romay's trouser suit, a zip-up-the-front number, and a flowing black satin and abstract geometric silver squares, like a Rothko recolored by Jeff Koons, and the Grand Motte seafront location with its distinctive pyramidal, pyra, pyramidal architecture. Pyramid architecture. It's as if Franco was trying to strip away everything superfluous in search of the nucleus of his talent. Shining Sex is like a laboratory experiment to isolate the Franco bug in which impurities are boiled away, extraneous radiation screened out until which remains can be observed in its purest state the essence of his cinematic spirit in shining sex he plays with the idea that the franco bug is a entity from another dimension something truly other like an alien spore look what i found he seems to be saying what is it how did i catch it for franco lust is a double-edged sword a delicious escape into a world of pleasure and a dangerous liability that allows others to manipulate the desiring individual. In Franco, women are often aloof from desire while some simultaneously welding the power of seduction. As the person who feels desire becomes aroused and ensnared, the other remains detached, in control, aware of the wider picture. Franco's male-centered neo-noirs, such as Downtown, Les Abranales, and Pickup Girls, are rife with women who can turn seduction sexiness on and off to suit their plans, while the men are largely dupes, diving into the pool of desire only to find some strange, nefarious transgressions perpetrated against them. Desire for Franco is a mysterious force dangerous in its ability to wipe away the contours of our civilized thoughts and feelings, driving us to its own selfish fulfillment, as if it were some force which floods through the mind like a powerful ocean current, dissolving morality, capsizing the will, and swilling away the loose cargo of identity. The only cinemas to have screened Shining Sex at the time of its release were porno theaters, and yet the film's relentless sexual alienation must have sent punters scurrying out feeling thoroughly disoriented. It's definitely a sex film, and yet the sex keeps sliding away into weird, unwholesomeness convulsions, as if arousal hath simply carried on mourning in the carried on mounting in the actors until they reacted with nausea or derangement, like drug addicts suffering an overdose. The first encounter between Cynthia and Alpha is one of the most sustained examples of weird sex ever committed to celluloid, 
and it's achieved through the confluence of three forces. The spellbinding performance of Lena Romay and Evelyn Scott, Franco's camera work, which draws the viewer inexorably into an attenuated time and space, and Daniel White's extraordinary music. Narratively speaking, there is very little backstory or context for the characters. All that we learn about the heroine, Cynthia, is disclosed in the first couple of minutes where she takes to the stage as the charming and delightful Cynthia, direct from Las Vegas, in her own creation, Shining Sex. That literally is all we find out about our female lead, unless we count her chatty aside to Alpha and Andros. It's a pity you didn't see me in Hamburg. I did a marvelous number with a racehorse. That's super porno, you understand. Wow. So yeah, she did a stag film with a horse. It's 70 minutes before we learn anything about the other dimensional viewers. The other dimensional viewers. Or the other dimensional. The other dimension viewers. And the information is condensed into one scene in which Andros talks to Cynthia, describing how he came to Alpha's. came to be Alpha's servant, or more like her slave, he reflects. It was a long time ago. That boat that I was traveling on was unexpectedly enveloped into a sudden heavy fog. We all lost consciousness. When we finally woke up, we were in a strange unknown place. We had entered another dimension. It appeared to us like another corner of the earth. Alpha is described simply as a Denzian of another place, and she's using Cynthia to murder those suspect the existence of her kind. Like one of the dimension-hopping characters from the Black Lodge and David Lynch's Twin Peaks, Alpha seems drawn to sex and human lust, both as a means to achieve her aims and for its own sake. Perhaps it's a form of of stimulation unavailable or massively diluted in Alpha's realm. When she makes love with Cynthia, she seems to find the experience overwhelming, akin to a drug overdose. Uh, Science appears in shining sex in a mutant form, trailing loose ends of the irrational. Dr. Seward, played by Franco himself, is a metaphysician who appears, who seems fully cognizant of the dimension from which Alpha originates. He informs his manservant that the mysterious Alpha is a being who belongs to another dimension. It has come among us to seek information about our habits. And unless the editing is intended to convey a view from his hotel window... That beggar's belief, he also seems to have psychic visions, being able to watch Cynthia as she walks into the countryside under Alpha's control. Devoted to exploring the unknown, he also he is also prone to experience to experiences bordering on the Janist belief that the inanimate objects possess souls. A little while back, I had the impression that all the objects in the clinic had an existence of their own. Franco's Dr. Seward is therefore a metaphysician first and foremost, as befits a film with one foot in the paranormal. Then there's Cynthia's second victim, Coleman, ostensibly a biologist, according to Dr. Seward, is actually researching other dimensions. Just wait until the funding body finds out. Common studies lead him away from the scientific rationalism of Europe and symbolically into the dark continent of the occult, as Cynthia stalks him during a coastal boat trip, an ironically prolonged sequence breathtaking in its suspension of narrative time. Seward's voiceover proclaims, She is traveling through the portals of space. She has arrived at an unknown shore, far away. 
perhaps it's Africa. The void, stillness, absence. These are constant factors in Franco's cinema. His best work frequently draws toward absolute emptiness. When the occultist Madame Picon realizes that Cynthia has been sent by Alpha to destroy her, she asks, What led you to me? Cynthia replies, A voice. The voice of silence. In many horror films, such metaphysical pronouncements would seem at best arc, if not pretentious. Here it feels entirely justified, an echo of the total strangeness permeating the project. Almost beyond the power of words, Shining Sex draws its weird energy from elastic absences, suspended moments of time in which the voice of silence ceases to be a pseudo-mystical affection and becomes a meditative, meditative reality. Dream and reality, metaphor and geography, science and mysticism, sex and metaphysics all swirl around in a defocused missima in which boundaries dissolve into air. This is Franco's cinema unbound. Shining sex brims with the delirious absence of his vision. Franco on screen. Franco plays Dr. Seward, a character who, though unable to intervene, possesses psychic awareness of Cynthia's proximity and state of mind, a good metaphor for the way that writers sometimes feel that their creations are detached from their conscious control. With his possession of arcane or obscure knowledge, Seward recalls two other characters played on screen by Franco, Attila Tanner and Eugene E., a slew who, strangely, with a strangely intimate awareness of the titular murderess and her father, and Dr. Roberts and female vampire, a coroner with unusual insights into the modus operandi of a sex vampire. Two good characters. Uh, music. Despite the daunting minimalism of shining sex, one tool in Franco's creative arsenal that cannot be stripped away is music. Daniel White's themes for Shining Sex are among the most entrancing and otherworldly of his career. One piece in particular stands out. It appears during Cynthia's first sexual encounter with Alpha and is built around a seductive yet implacable acoustic bass, twinkling electric piano, and eerie harmonically displaced synthesizer. Subtle and gentle, yet grave and precise, it builds an unforgettably eerie mood that lingers in the mind long after the film has ended. There's fun to be had, too, with a thuddingly simplistic rock drum solo heard during the boat trip, which aims for an African tribal fill, but sounds more like an extended hawkwind workout. One piece heard prominently during the Madame Picame episode is an alternative take of Fantomas Cheres, which appears on the Daniel White Library LP Mystery Bluth, literally Bluish Mystery, uh, released by Montepas 2000 in 1976. The variant take suggests that White recorded music during the Mystery Blues sessions, which he kept aside purely for Franco. Locations. Uh, Shining Sex is shot in and around La Grande Motte's imposing waterfront hotel, previously in Lorna, The Exorcist, and also back-to-back with Midnight Party. The open-plan interior space where Cynthia is incarcerated by Alpha is actually the hotel's solarium. Cynthia's meeting with Madame Picame takes place at the medieval walled city of Angus Mortis, about 15 kilometers from Le Grand, Morte, uh, Le Grand Mott. Uh, her metaphysical boat ride is on the Tiki Paddle Streamer, now the Tiki 3, which runs to, th- which runs to this day from the Santes Maries de la Mar, Mar region of the Carmoge. The journey offers tourists a trip into the mouth of the Petit Rhone Delta, 
with the waterways forming a natural haven for wildlife and offering beautiful vistas of the surrounding countryside. Please note, owning to the fragility of time and space in the region, holidays are at your own risk. Terms and conditions apply. Nice. All right, connections. The notion of desire as an organism from outer space or some kind of metaphysical visitation from another plane has currency in the writing of William Burroughs, See Naked Lunch, The Ticket That Exploded, and Nova Express. Will the idea of uncontrollable lust released by contact with a chemical agent can be found in Charles Platt's controversial novel, The Gas, 1968, in which an accident and a germ warfare lab allows the aphrodisiac vapor to escape across southern England, leading men, women, and children to act out their most twisted sexual obsessions. In Shining Sex, Alpha's manservant reveals that he was a sailor whose boat passed through a cloud of fog and emerged in another dimension. James Herbert's novel, The Fog, tells of a mysterious cloud that stimulates brutal, sexualized violence of those who enter it. There are gossamer threads to Franco-esque mood and style here, which stretch back to Vampiros Lesbos, the Cauchemin, Nesit Lenut, and Lorna, The Exorcist, and forward to such masterful later films as Des Beldinis der Dorian Gray, Macumba Sexual, and Milsexos Teen Le Noche. Each plays with an artful suspension of narrative time, with sex as the lubricant that allows characters to slip between the fibers of reality and into another space. Dr. Seward is back, or an interrogation of him following his appearance in appearances in Count Dracula, Vampiros Lesbos, Dracula, Prisoner of Frankenstein, and The Erotic Rites of Frankenstein. Callman, one may recall, is the name of another of Franco's doomed scientists who is also hunted by hypnotized female assassins in the diabolical Dr. Z. Shining Sex sees the first use of a cost-cutting trick Franco would return to many times in the next two year, ten years. Shots of Romay performing a risque strip number against the wall of a hotel bedroom, intercut with scenes shot in a club with seated patrons apparently watching and applauding. The intercutting insists on the illusion of shared space in an almost arrogant display of filmmaking cojones. And you know what? It works. Made back-to-back with Midnight Party, Shining Sex features Romay wearing the same costumes from the film with the freshly shaved vagina first seen in Juliet to 69. Both Midnight Party and Shining Sex feature erotic sequences taking place at the same hotel room with distinctive green patterned wallpaper. All right, French theatrical release. In all likelihood, there were two different French theatrical releases of this film. The Centre National du Cinéma archives indicate that it was only 69 minutes long when a visa was first issued in December '76, at which point the film was called Shining Sex. However, a change of title to Shining Sex, Le Fille et Sex Brilliant, was registered on December 2nd of 1977, a year later. And this version that appeared on French video cassette in the early 80s, running approximately 85 minutes, it would seem that this version that played at Paris in June 77 was the shorter version and the longer released later. Uh, the Japanese VHS release from Toei Video includes numerous scenes missing from the French version, although heavily censored with digital fogging. On the plus side, it has English dialogue and much better quality. The extra material is as follows, and they list six scenes. Uh, meanwhile, the French version features approximately three and a half minutes missing from the Japanese cut, and there are four different scenes there. So, um, yeah, I haven't watched it yet, but I assume the um, Shining Sex is going to have all that in there because this is the 106-minute uh, version, so I'm sure the 
it's the most thorough version, knowing Severn and the big Jess Franco fans they are. And, uh, yeah, the Blu-ray is really great. There's, like, a lot of cool extra features on it. It's got the uh, bonus CD, uh, Daniel White and the Land of Franco, Volume 1. It's got um, special features in the Land of Franco, Part 3, Shining Jess, interview with Stephen Thrower, uh, Never Met Franco, interview with filmmaker Gerard Kikoni, uh, filmmaker Christopher Gons on Franco, commentary with Robert Monell and Rod Barnett, uh, Not Safe for Work outtakes, and the trailer. So, yeah, there's quite a bit on there. So, uh, yeah, look forward to watching that. And uh, Miss Greta Carey is returning again uh, and watching uh, this with me. So we will do the review after the bumper music and uh, hope you dig it, as I'm sure I am going to. Uh, so, yeah. Always please, uh, there's a donation button on the site. If you feel free, donate it. Uh, I'm out of work right now, so any money that comes in uh, donated to the show would greatly be appreciated. Uh, also, too, you can download uh, and subscribe. There are always free episodes every Wednesday morning, 1 a.m. West Coast time. You will have a new episode in the Franco universe of a Franco film. So I'm planning on doing that every week. So even uh, things happen in life, but I still make time to watch and record and do these Franco episodes for us fellow Franco fans. So please tell a friend and let them know about the uh, show that is the Franco Observer Podcast. Uh, You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at uh, Franco Observer Podcast. You can uh, write us an email, any questions you have, or if you want to be a guest or review something with me or anything, uh, feel free to get a hold of us at FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com. Uh, Y-A-H-O-O.com and or, or, yeah, FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com uh, Also, let's see, Franco Instagram, we said that, Facebook of course, a mission statement to share the films and uh, message of Jess Franco to new eyes and ears, and we do spread the word and films of Mr. Jess Franco, and uh, all around the world we have people listening to the show weekly, and I uh, hear from many cool people on a daily and weekly basis and i thank you for that so uh keep it up and i'll keep it up and uh if y'all keep it up that always makes lena happy so you know lena likes it when we keep it up so all right lena we miss you we miss you uncle jess and uh we hope you're in the other world having some great shining sex adios Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the Frank Observer Podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy, with Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group. Uh, right now, we are editing uh, Lady Hyde and Emmanuel in Sin City, coming out next year in 2022, which is not that far away. Um, today's episode is uh, about uh, film number 67 uh, for episode 67, be the last time we're in sync here because um, the next film is barbed wire dolls and we've already covered um, all the way up to uh, 86. So the next uh, like 20 about the next 19 episodes will be going back to the beginning of the Franco catalog. So um, with this special film, uh, film 67, episode 67, I'm joined uh, once again, graciously by uh, Greta Carey and she's here to talk to me about shining sex. How are you today, Greta? I'm doing well. Yeah, so this was a uh, fun film to watch for me. Uh, watch this right after Midnight Party, which was made right before this. Um, I'm going to give the quick synopsis, 
And then I'm going to ask what you thought of the film and then we'll talk about the film and go over the list and all that stuff. Um, This is a pretty quick synopsis, so it's not bad. All right. Synopsis. Uh, Cynthia, a vivacious young stripper, is invited back to a hotel to entertain a haughty older woman and her trendy young male friend. Once there, she is drawn into a strange sexual situation that ends with her being smeared with a glistening unguent. The substance enables the older woman named Alpha, a being from another dimension, to control Cynthia's actions. Cynthia finds herself powerless to resist as she is sent out to kill those whom Alpha believes possess arcane knowledge that could be dangerous to her. Madame Picame, a medium, Kalman, a scientist, and Dr. Seward, a psychic. So, Greta, this was your first time watching this? It was. And what did you think about the film? I enjoyed it immensely. I love uh, um, I love a sci-fi. I love a body horror. I think we got a little bit of both. And yeah. practically hardcore pornography. Just just on the edge. Yeah, it's like hardcore softcore is how I've yeah. heard it described as, which yeah. is really perfect. Yeah, they talk on the Severin about uh, that there is a hardcore version and show some footage. Yeah, okay, so you have the DVD or Blu-ray of the film, mm-hmm. and then there's the not safe for work uh, outtakes on there. Yes, yeah, those yeah. I kind of fast forwarded through um, before uh, as I was waiting to do this. Yeah, it was kind of like just close ups of basically the three of them, and then her and her, and just mm-hmm. all the shots and stuff that they shot, which is interesting that they filmed all that and then mm-hmm. didn't really use it, you know. Even though they incorporated some of the footage into the Blu-ray that you've seen, like with her and Monica Swim, some mm-hmm. of the uh, oral sex footage, they showed a couple of angles of that where it's a little beat up and then went back to the main frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think it's better they didn't add that in because I think the pacing's really good, but it is kind of long. And I think if they added all that yeah. footage, it'd be another 15 minutes or whatever on top of it, 20 minutes. And yeah, it's a little redundant, I think, you know, but. But yeah, no, this is a really interesting film. Um, I'm going to go over the list real quick of the Franco uh, formula, kind of the Franco uh, uh, recipes, whatever. The list, famous list. Um, So yeah, okay. uh, Number one, body of water. There is a body of water in this. We see uh, about halfway through and then definitely toward the end uh, with a sailboat, number two, and boats, number three. Uh, We have uh, no palm trees in this. Number five, jungle sound effects. There's no jungle sound effects, but there is sound effects of the wind and of that weird door sound of like by her vagina. You hear like a, almost like a chamber door slamming and the wind and a few other sounds, which is really interesting. We'll talk about that with as we go through it. But um, yeah. Um, number six, chained up person. There's not a person chained up, but she is bound with the duct tape on the chase lounge. So um that's one of the kinks that we'll talk about as we go through, because I've noticed Franco films always have certain kinks, and I try to put all the kinks together. Um, and then, okay, so number seven, uh, dance scene on stage stripping. Yes, there's a scene where she's dancing against the green wall, wearing this cool, like, chain bikini and, like, a chain mail deal. And you have the audience sitting in, obviously, a totally different location, just having lunch or something or watching a band playing or whatever. It's probably the band from Midnight Party, probably that that footage, I, I assume, because those were filmed at the same time. Uh, okay, so number eight, club scenes dancing. There's no people dancing, but like I said, we had people sitting there watching, so it's half of that. Uh, number nine, jazz music. 
kind of. There's a really, really good soundtrack I thought on this film. I really like the music a lot. I'm going to talk about that later. But yeah, there's really cool stuff. Uh, number 10 and 11 usually go together. Excessive zooms and out-of-focus shots. Uh, I'd say yes, because when he's going into Lena's vagina, he's, that's where he usually loses his focus. No pun intended. Um, but uh, yeah, he's usually... But it wasn't as bad this time, but there's a few parts where there's some sequences where you start seeing it go in and out and, and it's definitely gets, you know, pretty, pretty uh, out of focus. Uh, number 12 mirror shots. Yeah. There's a really nice mirror. Sh- there's a few, but one I really liked was uh, where uh, Monica swim and her standing in front of the mirror and she kind of like opens up her thing. That was really well filmed. And that's like almost a classic shot of all his films. Like that's the image you see is those two. And, and it's really, really, really beautiful, beautiful filmed. Um, Number 13, definitely, yes. Uh, mind control themes, uh, definitely. That's this whole thing is about hypnosis and controlling the person. And and uh, that's going to be a big topic that we're going to talk about in the notes section, definitely, because that's a huge part of this. Um, number 14, magic tongue scenes, most definitely. Uh, not a lot, but definitely Lena used them a few times, and, and it was pretty funny, especially in the outtakes. She was really doing the head shake, and she was giving the blowjobs, so it was funny. Um uh, let's see. Okay, fifteen. Uh, red light. I didn't really catch any red light scenes in this. I don't know if you did, but I didn't. Didn't seem like there was any on the audience or nothing with the faces like he usually does. This is really, really rare because he usually uses a red light in probably eight or nine out of ten films. You know, uh, number sixteen. Sheepskin rug. No uh, masturbation in this film. Uh, yeah, I think a little bit. It's more the sex though. I think with that she rise around but she doesn't really play with herself that much uh 17 mad scientists no but aliens so it's kind of like a geyser or whatever of that and they do use the potion to put her under control so um 18 fish tank shots none of that no talking animals unfortunately uh parrots or cats or nothing uh 20 uh in credits yes or no yes it says finn if i in uh, 21 handwritten notes or signs. No, there's a sign for Dr. Seward's office. That's kind of like printed. looks good. And then one going into the boat at the end. That looks like it's was actually part of that boat. That was for that attraction or whatever, for the boat rides or whatever that was, that was already made. So those were good signs. They weren't handwritten cardboard deals or nothing funky. Uh, number 22 spiral staircase shot. One quick one when he carries her up the stairs to go up to bring her body to Alpha. Um, There's only one time. Uh, 23 um, inept cops. No inept cops in this, actually. Really no law in this film at all. Just the psychiatrist and the the psychic, you know, Franco. Uh, 14 belly chains. Most definitely this film is like belly chain heavy all the way through. Uh, Different kinds of belly chains. Even when she's wearing that chain bikini on the back, it's like a belly chain, which is kind of cool. Uh, and finally, um, kinks. I'll go with that on, on the list as we go through the film now. Um, so, okay, so I'm going to go talk with you about this. Um, this is a dubbed version. Um, I don't know if there's a subtitled one or what, um, but uh, the dubbing wasn't bad in this for me. I mean, the voice of Lena was kind of goofy. I mean, the beginning was goofy, but I think it, got better as it went along i don't know because at first it was just kind of like i don't know it's a little quick like she kept saying a lot of stuff to fill the time when it could have used maybe less dialogue whatever but 
Ramon Ardiz was pretty good. It matched up decently, and and he didn't have a lot to say, so that helped. Alpha's, I think, was a little off, but hers wasn't bad. I mean, to me, it sounded like Lena, but it didn't sound like Lena, but it, it it's a decent match. I thought, what did you think about the dubbing in this in general? It wasn't terrible, but there's the scene where she's putting on her makeup, and she's whistling, yeah. and it's totally yeah, out of sync. Yeah, it drives no. Yeah. <laughs> kind of drives me nuts but it's a really cute scene i love i love her putting on her makeup and then like looking at the photograph the naked photograph of her lover and like tickling it with her um, makeup brush yeah. it's, it's real cute which is crazy because you bring that up now, okay that's the first i always count what's the first nudity in a franco film that's the first nudity in a franco film nine seconds and it's male nudity no, by no. laying back with a good size hog laying there uh flaccid and you see a lady in a bikini in the background and she tickles it with her little brush and uh yeah it's really cute and there's two cats picture of two cats and she plays with that picture and does her makeup and everything um yeah so that's pretty funny and then you see her first nudity uh at one minute 32 seconds in um so yeah yeah that uh and then you see belly Ch- uh and then um okay so for me um actually uh, yeah i'll go with that um so for me they say Stephen Thor talks about how this has the themes of diabolical dr z where he is a agent, a woman that's controlled, that's used as a plot to go out and attract people and then kill them or whatever. Um, and then also Nightmares Come at Night, where it's a woman that's kind of hypnotizing the people and going through and doing that. But as I watched it, I was thinking of Dracula, of like her as the vampire. She has, she says, what drew you to me? The, un, or, uh, the unheard voice. And she says, it was almost like with Dracula and even vampiros lesbos that he did later where it's the same thing with soldad did like a mind control thing where she could and which is in the bram stoker stuff of, of just talking through your mind of somebody and they can hear your voice but nobody else can hear you and they know exactly where to go and it's followed to the thing and she uses that with that so i was thinking okay well this is almost like instead of a vampire it's an alien and and then uh the servant was more like dr caligari's like a, a cesar or maybe renfield but not as renfield's more crazy and stuff but you know just or even like a vampire servant you know and they go out and they infect a a beautiful woman or a beautiful guy and then they go out and send them out to infect more people and that was kind of like this but instead it was infecting this person to kill these people that they think might know about who they are and stuff which is more of a film noir a hard-boiled kind of an angle you know kill these people that are dangerous to our operations or whatever, you know, type thing. Um, but uh, yeah, so that I was kind of thinking when I was watching that. Um, what do you think about that or like that, that situation? Yeah, I think it was um, murder by proxy is definitely a nod back to, um, to other films in, yeah. in his, uh, in his canon. And then I believe there's a Dr. Seward in Dracula. So I think he borrowed yeah. that name also. Totally. So I think there are some, um, some really sweet callbacks to, uh, to, you know, to things that he's done, but such a different film. Like this is um, like, he is really like, you know, totally refusing to fit any, any film conventions in this where I think there are earlier films that are definitely um, a little more, a little more linear. Yeah, you know, because it's funny too, you talk about Dr. Seward, yeah, because he is uh, in the psychiatric ward as well, just like in Dracula. Yeah, and then, like Stephen Thor talked about, uh, like they have it in the Dracula Prisoner of Frankenstein, and then uh, 
Dr. Seward's in a couple different films. I think he's even one of the uh, uh, Dr. Mabuse or Dr. Orloff films he did. He's like that Dr. Seward in that. So yeah, he's like Dr. Seward like four or five times at least by this time. So yeah, and, and it's cool that use that literary character and other things. Um, so yeah, so you have that. And then um, you have uh, um, what I dug was, um, okay, so Lena, uh, Lena has a really cool, um, like a, a um, pleather um, zip up cat suit, kind of like an Avengers. And she has this cool, like red circle with like a star, like red and black. And she has it on her butt as well, like a matching thing. And then later on, Ramon Ardid's wearing like a matching black zip up kind of suit too, as well, almost like hers. I was the same one because they're about the same size, or if it was a different one or what. But his didn't have the star on it. So, but I thought that was kind of interesting that you see that later, like, okay, maybe that's a uniform that, well, it was hers coming in. So I don't know if, how that's connected. But yeah, he had one later. It was just fashioner, but I'm sure there was something to it. But um, yeah, yeah, that, that I thought was um, really cool. Um, okay. And then, so when Lena meets the couple for the first time after her strip act, she talks about how uh, she said, you should have seen the scene with uh, me and a racehorse. And she says, that's a, a super porno. And I like the description of her calling it super porno. It's like the next stage or the next elevation. And, and just that word super kind of reminds me of like a, a Russ Meyer thing, mm-hmm. like super Varla or super, you know, uh, super Lorna or something. But yeah, it was like super porno. Then she, then they talk about her Vegas act, um, um, shining sex and everything. They kind of build her up as like this totally like sexual fire plug. So, so when they see her, it's like, okay, this is everything that we're looking for to like power it up or to use it. You know, um, what did you think of like her entrance and her first talking to them about that and, and that whole scene? Yeah, I mean, she is is her usual charming self. And I also liked that, um, much like Midnight Party, there's this, you know, interested couple, and she's going to go with them. So there was a nice um, uh, compliment to, uh, to that. So this attractive couple, um, you know, she thinks she's, you know, creating some sort of deal with them that she's, you know, that this is like what she does. And once again, unbeknownst to her, things are going to, things are going to transpire that are different than what she expects. Um, yeah, and she's she's. I love like the way that she is is kind of just like vivaciously talking about herself and sort of like selling herself uh, and and telling her story. Yeah, she's almost like an athlete or like an actor. It's like, well, I won this title and I beat this person and I've you know was in this thing and I was you know I was like, yeah, I fucked a horse and I did these two girls and I'm a stage <laughs> show and I did this and that. It's like, wow, wow, you know, and now I'm ready to do this and you know, hire me and I'll be your top, you know, and that's kind of like Lita, or I mean, uh, uh, Lena in this, she's just like, that's her, you know, just this and that, I'll do whatever you, whatever it takes to do that thing. And so it's like, once again, it's, it's different than Midnight Party because she's talking to the camera and she's saying mm-hmm. who she is, but in this, she's playing like a, a thinly veiled version, mm-hmm. like a watered down version of who she is or like who she's supposed to be in the Franco universe, you know? Um, but yeah, I thought that scene was, was pretty funny. And then, um, uh, you see um, those really cool buildings that we talk about. They film in that section again. Uh, there's a couple mm-hmm. cool shots where you see the all the um, pyramid-shaped buildings and that whole area is really, really beautiful at that time. It's really, really amazing. Um, and uh, then you have uh, you see her with the uh, woman Alpha, and she does the uh, uh, magic tongue scene. And uh, there's some out of focus shots during all this. And mind control. Okay, so what's really interesting is um, 
So Lita is like basically this totally it's her. She's fucking master sex. She killed people with sex. She's done it in other films. She sexes her power. So this woman that or maybe she's what we don't know. She's alpha. She's a being from, from an alien, but she has boobs. She has a vagina that we see. So we take her as that. So uh, with her being with her, she, uh, she has the, the uh, desire, which I'm going to talk about too, that uh, Stephen Thrower talked about, because his films are always fear or desire. And this film is totally desire. So, and so um, Lena, like to me, when I was watching it, Lena's currency is sex. Like that's the thing she is. That's what she has to offer. That's who she is. Everything about her sex, shining sex. Like she is that shining sex. She is the shining, shining light of sex is Lena. So that's her currency. So the woman was so desired by her and wanted to be with her that it almost kills her because we don't know if she can have sex or like with other things of if she has sex, which I like, like with love Blade, where you have sex with a person and you, that person dies or you die or something happens and a transference of power or something happens. So then halfway through, you see her start almost like she's orgasming or screaming. You don't know what it is. And you hear this really weird sounds and sound effects. And then she gets up and she goes to a statue of like this little white hand that's sitting on a counter and she kind of like rubs it and touches it or something. And then I guess it emanates a little fluid. So I don't know if that was maybe her orgasming and that's the fluid coming out or if it's like that's her thing that she was supposed to do anyway and touch a button and then it comes out and that was her plan to, but i don't know it's weird because it was like a, a thing where maybe she had to stop herself or I, I it was it was hard to decipher once i watched it a few more times maybe i'll get a different interpretation but um but yeah i don't know if, how that was that but so yeah so she takes that cream or that poison or that lotion or whatever and uh rubs um, her vagina with it and then basically we learn that that goes inside her and uh he describes it as uh you were alpha uh, contaminated you so uh, it goes through her whole body and almost like uh, escape from new york where after so long it just finally finishes her off at the end that we see but uh but yeah i thought that was really interesting concept and what was really odd is it's funny because like he takes and Thor talked about it later too. It's like, he'll take scenes and things like the, her just rubbing her. It's like, okay, you see a naked woman rubbing another naked woman a thousand times, especially with Lita and this and that. But in this, it means something because she's like putting this alien lotion on her and it's actually essential to the film. And then later on when she's in the chase lounge outside and she approaches her, which is almost like Vampiros Lesbos with the coming to the chaise lounge and the lady laying there and, <clears throat> and the, the Lord or whatever, and then rubbing the lotion on her too. that scene that which you see the label of the, whatever lotion she's putting on her or some kind of a, that brown liquid later. It's like a, maybe a suntan lotion or a, I don't know, something, but when you see that and she's putting on her and you realize that, okay, that's the process. or that's something that's integral. And I was like thinking, Oh, okay. That's actually important to watch that. It's not just, I mean, it's padding, but it still means more with something like that. So I thought that was kind of interesting to see the difference, you know? Yeah. I thought um, Evelyn Scott who plays Alpha is really exceptional because there is this, um, her and her, uh, um, like her minion, they have this really stilted way that they talk. It's really, it's, it's kind of, it's a little jarring and then her scene with uh, her sex scene with um, 
with Lena, it's, it's almost like the awakening of understanding how sex happens between two human people, because there is this like, Oh, I, you know, whatever, like, um, you've adopted this body or you are, you know, this body is unfamiliar to you or you're, you're unfamiliar with the sensations as an alien being, it's sort of just this awareness. Um, and like Alina, you know, brings uh, all of this to light for her. So it is, it is, it's not really funny. Like there isn't a lot of the humor that you see in some Franco films, but it is kind of, it is kind of funny because it's just, it's just so like, it's so jarring because it's foreign. It isn't this like sensual softcore pornography between two women. It's got a whole different energetic element to it. Yeah. The sound effects was like the wind, I think in the sequence and you start hearing some of the weird sounds and it's like almost like a hypnotizing or a transference of power. And it's like those extra elements, the extra layers that he's laying on top of that scene, like we talk about really enhances that. And that's almost like the enhancing of everything. And uh, yeah. So anyway, like going to desire, um, because that kind of fits in kind of this portion right here it's like yeah it's always like you said fear or desire and it's, this is is the desire it's like lena desires always new sensations she talks about the racehorse and this and that. she's always and now she's like yeah and sherry knows when she meets these two people that she's gonna have sex with them she's like oh yeah that's why i'm over here i'm gonna go with you up to your room and well fuck yeah let's fucking go you know so she's always ready for that next desire and the woman is or uh, alpha is here from her planet because she wants to observe earth and learn about people. So soon she desires the knowledge of everything. And as she sees Lena, she desires her because she wants to study her. And then from the sex, it starts overtaking her. And that desire is, is like that scene you talked about her, you know, having either get to her end or realizing it or waking up or breaking off or whatever she does, you know, that she learns that like you're saying in, in that sequence. And then uh, Ramon Ardid, her servant, which was Lena's husband at the time, um, his desire, I guess, was just, I don't know, being just being stuck in the wrong place. He talks about mm-hmm. arriving kind of on a ship, being stuck in a fog somewhere, and he comes and she's from another world. And, and he talked about in the extras that that was the novel, The Fog. And I'm not sure if that was the same fog that John Carpenter's movie was based on or if it's a different fog. I'm not, I'm not sure on that, but... But uh, yeah, so they talk about that. He comes in, he kind of sees her, and, and then he became her servant, you know, and, and she controls him. And he tells her later, well, I'm human too, and you're human. And, and she tries to seduce him to help her, and it doesn't work out. But but uh, yeah, so it's like that whole thing is desire. And then, of course, Lena, her currency is sex. And so they can send her out to and kill these people because they see Lena and they desire her and they want to touch her and embrace her and, and, feel the sensations of her and then so that that kills them as well so um but yeah it's like this is like he talks about in the as like he basically boiled down a lot of the franco stuff and there's a lot of the essence of a lot of cool things with this and this is definitely about the desire and two of uh you know a lot of the loop of she meets a person kills and then the next one it's the same loop and the same stuff of what he's doing like i go through the list the same elements he's using you're doing the process over and over again and what's the desire to always want to do it again and to learn about it and and why do we observe these things and care to know about them or why don't we just stick to the side what makes us desire to always either learn more or do more or or whatever you know so i think it's it's really cool and even like the whole sexual thing about the sexual desire and and about the sexual alienation of, of you know 
after you're done, you're, you're dead, you're cast away. You're never to be seen again. You're another person on her list or his list and, and you're, and you're, you're, you're done, you know? So there's a, a lot of cool elements that make this more than just a sex film or something where it adds a lot of really cool thoughts and ideas and processes on a very lean fucking budget with really no special effects. And crazily, I was thinking how using glitter rub a little bit and then finally at the end she's covered such a cheap effect and it shows so much and sounds and that stuff it's like i totally told the whole story without showing like her body breaking apart and stuff coming out of her or cgi like they do nowadays or show her going through a thing and all this stuff coming out of her and just total bullshit like jacking off basically you know it's just like it's cool just to do the thing and it means so much and just telling the story you know yeah i mean it's it is there is definitely body horror in this because there is like the there is not a transformation via special effects but she evokes the experience of of that transformation and the kind of um uh but like walking through the city and and kind of that woozy feeling of yeah um, of just being disassociated with uh with things and with what's happening it's it's very effective and i mean there's like it, that is a time that's rich with a lot of really quality body horror coming out so it's actually it's impressive to see that and i always love the horror elements and the sci-fi elements and different things that um that are in those films that that really make them make them interesting, especially in comparison to other ones in, in those genres. Yeah. It's cool that you brought up body horror. Cause I totally didn't even think about that. And I'm, I am as well, a huge body horror fan. And I didn't think about that element. I was just thinking of other things, the alien, other stuff, but yeah, it's totally, totally body horror. And like you're saying, her just going like wandering to the castle. How'd you get here? Well, I don't know. And, and her knowing that she has to meet this psychic woman and seduce her. And then she has, and she'll be dead and, and she has no control and she just has to do what they say. And, and goes through the process of that. And uh, yeah, it's cool. It's like, she's that whole thing of just being under control and almost the same well as like two of like the vampire, like she's, mm-hmm. she's bit now. She has to go get the next victim in order to keep going. Cause if not, she'll die, you know? And so it's like, she has to do these things that she doesn't want to do, you know? Um, and of course too, her objects are the psychic that can see all and know all. And then just Franco's characters is psychic. That's what's passed on to him. And then the other older guy i forgot what he was um got the gun uh uh so yes you have those those three that are like you know people three that were going to stop their their business um so let's see at this point um so let's see we had um okay so we have um yeah so we had my control cream from the hand statue um yeah we had this cool you had these cool yelling sounds coming out of her vagina uh, when they were like in that sequence. It was really, I thought that was really trippy. It was almost like instead of Lena yelling out of her mouth, it was like the sounds of her screaming was coming out of her vagina because they were showing the close up of her vagina and, she, and hearing the sounds. So it was almost like coming from those lips instead of from those lips. And it was, and he's saying it is, is comical, but when it was shown, it was very frightening and very like, wow very like made you think like wow i never think of that before like you know that why couldn't a scream or cry and it's it's very very interesting and like another odd thought to the whole list of interesting concepts that this film has you know um and then uh let me go to something really cool um emmanuel is always known for having that cool um wicker peacock chair this has two uh wicker 
uh, peacock chairs uh, that they sit in outside because they're king and queen, or not king and queen, but uh, master and servant. Um, but uh, yeah, so I thought that was really cool. Those uh, wicker peacock chairs, I always dig those. Especially this was like uh, 1975, so that's prime, you know, prime period for that. Um, I'm sure they did that too to evoke that kind of sex, kind of you know, European look at that time. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then Lena in the Chase Lounge, uh, remind me of a Vampiro Lesbo scene that she uses, and then also she uses it, or he uses it again in um, uh, uh, the Confessions of a Nymphomaniac one, or um, Sinner. He uses that same shot in Sinner too, in, in one or two other films. Um, okay, and then uh, we have, um, oh yeah, so one thing too I thought was cool on this is. Um, Part, another concept too I was thinking that fits is almost like the attic scene that we talked about with the vampire stuff, but also a shifting of power. So Lena comes in as the total, I can do this, this and that and stuff. And then she meets these people and then she's drained of that power and all the power shifts to them. And now she's under their thumb or their control. So it's all about a currency of shifting the power and cashing out. And now you're this thing and that thing. And really, really interesting that a lot of the mental ideas that were with this film that's just more than just a bunch of sex scenes and people swinging and stuff you know but uh yeah i thought it was really interesting um uh and then uh we have um uh, let's see um yeah you have uh wind sounds water sounds uh with the two women um oh yeah yeah so i talked about that with the rubbing and the the these adults seem better with a, things that have actual meaning, like the uh, the lotion and everything. Um, so it's interesting. So so you see, Franco tries to go for the shot to get. There's a cool shot. He wears these um, aviator shades, and um, um, Ramonar did. And you see Lena's reaction of her trying to scream without no sound in his glasses. Franco kind of like moves the camera around to get it, but before he gets to her, he shows like some cables on the floor and a few pieces of the equipment and you don't see him but you see everything but that and he pans up to her face i was kind of giggling at that you know but uh it wasn't as bad but you know tries he, he probably should have cut a little bit or, or cut a little earlier but or later um and then we have um uh okay yeah we talked about two uh so then she gets dropped off at that really cool castle that fucking castle was like badass i, I that might have been the first time i've seen it in franco film i have to look it up but yeah uh What'd you think about that? Like she's dropped off and she wanders in to meet the psychic. Oh yeah, no, it's great. It's got um, the little taste of Gothic horror to it. So yeah. It's definitely. Yeah. Almost. Very effective that, like, yeah. The Dr. Z, the vampire thing mm-hmm. with that castle. It's like, okay, why is a castle in the middle of, you know, it's like a total different thing, you know? And it's cool that the psychic lives there. And like, so that's her thing. She's like a different, you know, a different element, a different place out of time or something. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, you have uh, yeah. There's a cool thing. She goes, "Well, how did you find me? What called you?" And she goes, "The voice, the voice of silence." And it was like her either psychic command or, or whatever. And then as she goes into a trance and starts calling out things, she learns that Lena was sent there by her enemies, and that's and she's actually there to kill her. She's not there to learn from her, be a, a servant. She's actually there to like kill her because of the situation. But Lena has the lotion rubbed onto her, this cool, like around her boobs and these cool symbols and on her chest. And as she explores her and sees that and starts touching that, I guess it gets into her skin or whatever. And then, uh, and then she's, uh, gets killed by her by that. Um, yeah. Lena's currency used up by alpha. 
Um, so then, uh, okay. So then Lena's, uh, they, she, after she has sex with the person, she basically collapses and they, she gets taken back to both places. And this time she's taped to the chase lounge. So then that made me kind of realize, okay, what's the chained up scene. So then, um, I started making the list of different kinks. So I'm going to start kind of going to that right here. So in the earlier, we talk about, um, her describing having sex with a horse. So you have, uh, bestiality there bestiality bestiality there and then you have uh her with a couple so it's a, a swingers couple you have uh, a threesomes or couples pick up a, a woman and then you have um um foot worship you have the scene of him worshiping alpha's foot kissing her foot and, and embracing that you have the tied up uh the restraint you have whipping scenes you have um servant you have sub and dom in this film um and uh, it's funny because Franco always, they asked him in books, you know, about different things. And he's like, oh, no, I don't have any of those things in my film. I don't have any, any kinks or any things like that in my films. And it's like each film you can just see at least three to five countable, you know, sequences, you know, in this. So. Yeah, maybe he just didn't think that was they were kinks. He's like, no, that's just what that's just yeah. normal. Yeah, that's just what, that's <laughs> what you do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you start going through making lists and breaking things down as an observer, so you observe and, and see. Oh, and of course, voyeurism is another one. But, yeah, oh, well, that's a the top one exactly. And yeah, and Stephen Zora talked about that too about the voyeurism, where like with him, even the party plays, he's like the crippled guy and. Uh, Boris, his assistant, which is funny, like Boris Karloff or whatever. It's like, why do you choose the name Boris? But uh, so yeah, Boris like lowers him down to like pull off the sheets of her, and he's like tries to touch her with his one hand as a glove, and he's probably like crippled up. You know, if it's like a Doctor Strange love thing, or if it's just he can't show it. And the other hand, he's like tries to touch her, and so he's like wants to see more and more, but he can't do anything. It's really really interesting, you know, that whole and the whole thing with the loop again. It's like he knows he can't do it, but he still has that desire to get right up to that point even though he's just knows what the consequences will be or whatever but yeah really really interesting a lot of a lot of cool uh intellectualism for a sex film you know <laughs> yeah um, in my notes i wrote um vaginal hypnosis because she has this sort of like hypnotic power with you know with her body which i think is is really it's really effective because even though she has lost control over um uh her own autonomy uh-huh. It is, you know, it is just kind of this like uh, hypnotic power emanating from her and and seducing those around her. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. And that's Lena. Lena is like, you know, everybody's powerless beneath Lena. And it's so funny. Like, and it's so funny that she's not so. And they talk about that even just as an actress, but as a sensation or as a power that she's not regarded more and, and held up to more of a, you know, if you just think about how much she owned everything, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny she's like the goldberg of like you know sex films <laughs> who's next she's like take out two three whatever lena fucking take out the giant take out ray mysterio whoever man she'll fucking take them out <laughs> uh, let's see that's why the first time lena's ever been compared to goldberg i bet you so hey, bet. <laughs> uh, let's see so um okay yeah so we have yeah she's poisoned by the alien alpha um I like the whole sequence where she kind of gets on the boat and she's going to the last target and uh, the guys in the boat and you don't see them interact together. And there's like a drum sequence. At first, it's almost like a bongo drums and it turns into drums with the uh, symbols and everything. And, and it's very, uh, very hypnotic 
scene, which is the whole thing of the hypnotism and everything and the whole, you know, that, that being in there. And that, that scene, even though it was just a scene of a, a traveling scene, which in theory you could cut it down, but it actually worked and it, it, it kept that pace going and it kept that, the whole thing going. And that, that whole sequence, I really liked a lot of just him shooting the, shooting the footage outside the boat and just going through and, and seeing everything and, and that movement it was really nice you know and have a couple cool shots from behind lena and she looked at the camera and stuff and re- really really nice sequences um and that and then um and then uh one of the last thing I, I had on my notes was the very last sequence where she's in this their house or whatever he has this like black curtain that's in the background of the room and later on that gets used in like 15 or 20 films like that black backdrops like in all the Dietrich films and it's like that was like a movable thing that they used all the time that might have been one of the first times I've seen it there so like hey there's a famous black background that gets used over and over again um yeah that was basically pretty much the notes I had on it uh is there any other notes that you had or things that you had written that you'd uh, want to talk about one of the things uh that I really like that talking about voyeurism and exhibitionism because then is the exhibitionist to Franco's voyeur. And I love that there is this, um, this dance between them in the film, because again, it's, it's a a very, um, the long loving shots of her body are, you know, not few and far between they're constant, but there is just, um, there is such an interplay with, with that, quality that they both have that fits so perfectly like a puzzle piece and it's really um it's really exquisite to watch and and i think also knowing that um you know the way their uh relationships and relationship ends up transpiring it's it's like really lovely to see this play out on film yeah i i i definitely agree and it's like she gives everything and it's like she even makes everything around her better like there's scenes where or even like in some of the extra footage at the cutouts, the scene where she's blowing Ramon Ardid's leg. And I've seen in other films where the person's knees in front of her and she'll move the leg down or out of the way of the camera because she knows where the camera is and she knows it's going to come to the shot. So she'll just move it out of the way and little things without being told or whatever. And she just has that natural, like you said, working back and forth. And she knows where the camera is. She knows where to act to. And, and once in a while she'll spike it, but very rarely, you know, and he'll keep all that shit in usually. But, uh, but yeah, and even this, she only spiked him once where she's getting out of bed, kind of looking to see if he was rolling. But but she's coherent and like you're saying, she's observant and she's in the process of it, not just doing it without thinking. And and so yeah, she's totally in that moment with him. And and it's really cool to see those two work together like that and, and how it does go and, and all that stuff. So yeah, no, it's definitely she definitely fucking rules in this film. And uh yeah, I, I was I was really impressed because uh, I'd always heard about this. And I know a lot of people always liked this film and I was uh, expecting more of like kind of um, more science fiction element. I was, I was, cause it's kind of, it plays it down a little bit. Also too, um, I got to watch it again, but um, a lot of it's different, but of her alpha, I was kind of thinking of Bowie from uh, the man who fell to earth a little bit of like the alien kind of observing society and wanting to learn about it and then meeting somebody or something. And, I kind of forget that movie, how it goes in certain parts. And I read part of the book and stuff, but part of it I was watching, I was like, Oh, it kind of reminded me of that. I don't know. I think the book was written before this film, I think, but the movies right around here, I think around this time, I know it's seventies, maybe early to mid mm-hmm. something without checking off the top of my head, but I think it's somewhere around there. So yeah, it's kind of similar to that, you know, and she's very, you know, porcelain and clean and kind of doesn't know. And, and then how she reacts and everything. I mean, she doesn't do all the drugs and other stuff, but but still, it's like 
her having that, you know, deal. Um, but yeah, and, and just, uh, but no, but just watching this, like I, watching it and digging it and thinking of the Dracula and other stuff and, and all the concepts and, and the pacing and, and seeing uh, how it's a point of view or perspective, how like, like talk about like the rubbing of this lotion, how something so stupid can actually mean something and uh, taking one thing and putting a different thing on it means something totally different and, and could actually add value and meaning to something. So that was cool. So a lot of those little lessons I learned with that and, and also um, what to make on a budget. I mean, the budget on this, like I said, is so small and the concepts they use. His thing, of course, is locations, location, location, uh, amazing locations for this. Uh, without those, it'd be a little different and that definitely helps. But uh, yeah, I mean, really great concepts on small budgets and the ideas is what sells the film. Um, the execution, if you do it simple and it makes sense, just like anything, wrestling, whatever, if it's simple and it works, the more you try to, I mean, adding layers is good, but the more you try to change it from what it's supposed to do is where it doesn't work. Like adding wheels to something or something where it doesn't make sense, you know, it's like, and he keeps that where it's supposed to go. And, and, uh, like one thing I'd read is it's funny that people who had probably went to the theater to see this thinking they're going to see a porno. And then it's like, the fuck is this, you know, it's whole weird of the thoughts and ideas and stuff and, and put into it and stuff. But I mean, you get all the sex with Lena and all the, you know, everything about her, but everything around it probably confused the fuck out of people. And I always, always admire that because that's always my wheelhouse. So, you know, I, they also did a lot with um, relatively little exposition. So they're not um, hammering you with telling you the story of this is aliens and this is what's happening. You're really, you're experiencing it. It's very, it's very lean in terms of um, you, like you as the audience need to put it together. They're not yeah. just, they're not feeding it to you. And it's also, um, there's not as, uh, not as much music in it as some of the other films that I've seen from Franco. It's a little like light on, on that, like the like, as far as music as story, you know, as storytelling. Right. The music's not over, overpowering. There's maybe two or two or three sequences where it means something. Otherwise it's just there in the club or there in the background or, or there is something to pull together and, and everything with that. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it definitely, uh, and, and, uh, Frank on this film is, is pretty fun. Um, he's not in it a lot. Um, you see him like getting transferred from the chair to the, to, from the, his chair to his other wheelchair. And you see him, uh, getting wheeled around the places and, and funny to see Lena and, and, uh, it's cool that he has the psychic power where he can see the thing and hear it. He, it's almost like he can, astral projector he can almost like do remote viewing basically he's remote viewing what's going on and, and he can see what's what's going on and and he has the extra step of not just hearing the voice but seeing the image and that so um, which is a good storytelling device because if you do it in a serious way it fucking makes sense and, and it looks good and it's it's a simple oh he's psychic he can see in his head okay boom that's it you know and you just play the scene and and you don't have to put a bunch of steps in oh and get a message and then get it and read it and oh da, da, and think about it and you know and just sing it and then there it's done and yeah so it's a little like you talk about the simplicity the lack of you know those extra things and it's a different way of telling a story you know you can tell a story a lot of ways you don't have to just tell oh and then the house was green and it had four doors and three windows and each window had two panes and each pane had a sticker on the stickers all this extra stuff you really don't need sometimes and you know, certain things it fits Kubrick and stuff, but with this, it's just very 
streamline and and has a yeah like the pacing and that's almost like the whole film it just has that good 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 steady flow so yeah it's it's definitely uh this is well see 67th film i've done for the podcast and i've maybe seen say maybe five on top so i've seen about maybe 72 73 franco films and i'd say this is like in my top 15 maybe or so maybe top 10 top 15 i'll watch a few more times i might like it more but yeah definitely i i definitely definitely dug it um and it's one that i'll watch again for sure yeah, I would definitely watch this one again. I think there's a lot of, um, I actually want to watch other films of the era oh, yeah. as well. Like I want to um, revisit some Cronenberg and I think Man Who Fell to Earth, like looking at some of the elements of, of those films and the, um, you know, uh, like erotic body horror and yeah. the, like alien themes. I, I think that there's just there's more here. Like I, you know, I've certainly picked up on it, but I, I think to see it again, especially with um, revisiting uh, other, other things of the time would be valuable. Yeah. Cause it's in that same kind of um, zeitgeist of the, what they were filming and things going on. Yeah. Like uh, the came from within or, or even, you know, yeah. Yeah. What's the, uh, is it shivers with. Uh, yeah. Shivers. Yeah. It was almost the same thing of the sexual parasite mm-hmm. inside of her. But it's and that's what it is. It's, I mean, it's a bug or it's a cream that's in, so it's, and it takes over a body. And, and, and just like with this, it compels them to have sex with her. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't think about that. So I'm, I'm speaking it out. I'm like, well, that's the same thing. She's uncontrolled and she has to have sex with another person and pass on, but she kills the person in this one. But, um, but yeah, it was funny. And it's funny. So I had saw, uh, Julietta, which was the film they did two back and they used footage from shining sex and, um, uh, midnight party and so in uh the julietta there's a scene in here where she has sex with the old guy and he like dies and, and falls over to the side and in and in that film they say oh i had sex with a guy and he had a heart attack and died but it's a footage of her of her poisoning him and i was like oh, okay it's funny so you watch something how they use the footage in two different ways you know and this is how it should be done and here's a bad way to do it you know so it was kind of cool, you know, but uh, yeah, no, th- this was a good period for Franco. Um, after this, he goes into the uh, Erwin C. Dietrich period where he does about like I think 13 to 15, I forgot how many is like 13 to 15 films somewhere around there and uh, does all the ones with Lena. And that's when Lena breaks up with uh, Ramon Ardid. Uh, she takes a break from Franco for about two or three films. He has other people coming in and stuff. She's not in a few of those. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting time. And she comes back for like Jack the Ripper and, and does that small part there and then gets back into the swing after that and does really good. So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting time coming up for these next Franco films and that. But uh, like I said, at the beginning episode. Um, so now I'd already done all those. So now I'm going back to the very beginning and watching some of his early ones, especially the first four. It's like two of them are like in Spanish and that. So I'm just going to have to like kind of bust through those and, and learn those and stuff. So that should be fun but uh yeah i'm gonna probably do maybe like dual features on those kind of knock out some of those i think in the beginning of the year so and then go through and do um orloff and and all the ones i haven't done yet so which will be cool to go back and watch dr z even though i've seen it but haven't reviewed it now watching this it's like okay here's the first time he used that concept and here's the first time he used this concept and such so um but yeah it's kind of cool too as a filmmaker to see he takes like this film is, you know, Dr. Z, Nightmare's Coming at Night, Vampiros Lesbos, a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this, and just do this and that and change a few things and, you know, and there's next movie. So, yeah, it's 
it's always good. Franco's more than just a, a filmmaker for people to watch. If you want to learn from him, you definitely can learn by watching his stuff and and you know paying attention to what he does. So, um, any other thoughts or notes you have, or any? I think that hit all my notes. Hit all your notes. Awesome. Yeah, same here. I think uh, we definitely had more notes on this film than the last one because this has some substance to it compared to the last film. So. You know, but uh, so cool. Well, shit. Uh, then I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up and say uh, you can find us, uh, Franco Observer, on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Uh, you can also get a hold of us at FrancoObserver at yahoo.com. Uh, go ahead and write us emails there. Let us know what you think about the show. Um, you can also download all the episodes. Uh, please subscribe and share and let everybody know about the film and also uh, rate us on the thing and uh, give us all the stars and all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, this was a good film. Uh, definitely a lot of um, Lena, a lot of Lena licking and a lot of desire. So that's always a good, good threesome with Lena. So um, awesome. So uh, I think I'm going to do, I think I got one more episode before the end of the year. So before this drops so i just want to wish everyone a happy and healthy new year and uh let's make it have another fun franco year and uh let's keep doing these podcasts and doing it right so uh thank you again greta for joining me today thank you all right and i will talk to you all later adios